Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message. Wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek Jesus. Wise women still seek Jesus. Wise teenagers seek Jesus. Wise boys and girls still seek Jesus. Those who are wise seek Jesus. Why? Because we recognize that there's some things that only Jesus can do. Have you discovered that in your life? Have you you learned that? I appreciate what people can do for me. I appreciate what my family can do for me. I appreciate what my friends will do for me. I have friends that would come at the moment's notice. If I called them, they'd give me the shirt off their back. I appreciate that. But there are some things that only God can do for us. I'm here to remind you this morning that only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus. There is no other Savior but Jesus. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus can deliver us from sin and darkness. Only Jesus can restore our broken families. Only Jesus can heal our sick bodies and our mental and emotional state. Only Jesus can restore our peace of mind. Only Jesus can do those things. Can you say amen, anybody? Only Jesus can do those things. Wise men and women still seek Jesus. Now, we've been in a message series over the past couple weeks called Searching for Christmas. We're looking for the true meaning of Christmas. We're looking for the real meaning of what it's all about because sometimes we get caught up in the festivities and the cultural definitions and the cultural celebrations of Christmas and we can do all of that and miss the real meaning of Christmas. We can get caught up in all of it and and miss what Christmas is all about. So a couple of weeks ago we talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And then last week Pastor Linda preached a wonderful message. Didn't she do a good job last week? What a wonderful message that she shared with us. And we learned about this baby Jesus who would be called Emmanuel God with us, God in the flesh, God moved into the neighborhood to be with us. We learned about that. And today, I want to talk to you about a familiar story from Matthew chapter 2, a story that you already know it, or at least you think you know, about the wise men, the story of the Magi. I think for a lot of folks, they get their facts about Christmas, not from the Bible, but they get their facts about Christmas from cheap Christmas cards from fun Christmas pageants and programs. They get the facts about Christmas from the traditional Christmas carols and the sentimental nativity sets. The story is familiar to us, or at least we think it is. In the classic nativity scene, which we're all very familiar with, in fact, if you were at Christmas in the country this past week, you saw us portray it in the traditional way. You have a well-built stable surrounded by animals. Of course, in the center of the stable, you have to have a Joseph and a Mary and a baby Jesus in a wooden manger. And then there are some shepherds nearby, and they're leaning on their staffs. And up on top of the thatched roof, there is an angel perched up there. And then you have these wise men who are dressed in their opulent clothing with their crowns. 
kneeling before the baby Jesus to bring their gifts before him. We know these wise men are three kings from the Orient, just like the song says. We know that they rode three camels and that they came by night, just like the Christmas cards say. Or so we are led to believe. But when we read the biblical account, we may recognize that we've gotten some of the details wrong over the years. So I thought if it's okay with you, we just open the pages of the Bible and see for ourselves what happened. Okay, is that all right with everybody? All right, I'm gonna do it anyway, all right. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is what the Bible says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Notice these words. And all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, this is the Jewish, Jewish religious leadership and establishment, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? He had heard of a Messiah, knew of a Messiah, but can you imagine the king did not even know where the Messiah was to be born? And they respond to him in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. This is the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. If we stick with what the Bible clearly reveals, we may have to make some changes to our nativity sets at home, everybody. We might have to make some changes. There are some things we won't have to change. We know exactly from scripture where Jesus is to be born. Jesus is to be born in Bethlehem. At this time was, would have been a small village, a small hamlet, six miles from the city of Jerusalem, just kind of a dusty village at the time. That's where Jesus is prophesied by the Old Testament prophet Micah to be born. We also know the time in scripture of when Jesus would be born. We know that the time would be the time of Herod. But this is where the familiar facts begin to give way a little bit to some countless legends. We've been led to believe that they were three kings of the Orient. But the Bible makes no such statement at all. Matthew doesn't tell us how many men there were that came to visit Jesus. The Bible does not describe these men as kings at all. They are described in scripture as magi. They are wise men. They are philosophers. They are experts in astrology and interpreters of dreams. It's very likely that they were wealthy men in the upper echelons of society, 
Probably they worked in the royal court. I mean, how else could they have afforded such a long journey from the east all the way to Jerusalem? And how could they have afforded the expensive, luxurious gifts that they kneel down and present to Jesus if they were not men of some social status and the upper echelons of society and some men of wealth? We learn from scripture that these men are from the east. They are magi. The term magi is a Persian word. These men and their caravan was from the Persian Empire. This is modern day Iran. And where they came from in Iran, or perhaps even into Iraq, all the way to Jerusalem, Bible scholars tell us that the journey itself would have been over a thousand miles. Imagine coming from for a thousand miles on the back of a camel. You talk about being saddle sore. A thousand miles. Scholars tell us that this journey would have taken them several months. These men were committed to this journey. This was not some small expedition. This was a major undertaking. And the Bible tells us that they were led by a star. The scripture says, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They were led divinely by a light. They were led by a star. They did not have a GPS. They did not have a global positioning System. They did not have access to Siri that could give them step-by-step -step directions all the way to Jerusalem. No, these men and their caravan, they were divinely led. They were divinely led. I think of your testimony and how you came to Christ. It's no accident that you met Jesus. It's no coincidence that you met Jesus. You were divinely led to Jesus. That the Lord who loves us, the God who sent his only son by his Holy Spirit would orchestrate the steps of your life, guiding you through the ups and downs, through the circumstances, through the twists and turns of life to bring you to a place of recognition where you needed a savior. I tell you again, it was no accident that you met Jesus. You were divinely led to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. There was a light, a bright light that shone abroad in your heart heart that brought you to this Savior. Through the circumstances of your life, God will use it all. He'll use the good, the bad, and the ugly, whatever it is in your life, as a tool to bring you to the Savior, to recognize your need for the Lord. We know from Scripture that they came to worship. We don't know clearly from Scripture how long the journey was. We can estimate that. But we do know why they came on this journey. They were seeking a king to worship. They were probably, I would guess, expecting to find a toddler in a royal palace, a toddler, an addition to the royal family to be born. The caravan comes to Jerusalem and it's large enough to get some notice. This is why I'm quite convinced that it's more than three guys and three camels. Because the Bible says not only does Herod hear about it and he's disturbed, the scripture says, as we just read, that all of Jerusalem was upset about what was happening. So I don't know if three men can upset the whole city or not. I got a feeling that there was a large caravan, perhaps but perhaps a military escort, perhaps many servants that would go with them and carry their baggage and help them journey all this way. 
And they find themselves in Jerusalem and King Herod hears about what's going on and hears that there are some men, some wealthy men, some, some uh, extraordinary men who have come and they're looking all throughout the city, looking for this baby, looking for a baby that they're calling the king of the Jews to come to worship. And word gets back to Herod the king and he finds out there's some folks looking for a different king, not looking for Herod, but looking for a different king. A baby is to be born and this is the first time that Herod hears about a baby king of the Jews that was born, and he's confused by this. Herod, King Herod, there's a lot we can learn in history about King Herod. King Herod had no legitimate right to sit on that throne. Herod was not in the lineage of David's family, but through connections with Rome and a strategic marriage, Herod finds himself as the king. Herod, as we read through history, is a desperate fearful, jealous king. He is jealous. He's the kind of guy that's looking over his shoulder. He even has members of his own family executed out of fear that they might try to take his seat on the throne. He was a terrible man. So much so, we learn in scripture that in just a few days, he would order the execution of every baby boy under the age of two. The wise men are called in before King Herod, and he learns for the first time about a baby who is born this king of the Jews. He is told by the Jewish religious leaders that the prophet, prophet Micah many years ago had prophesied that the baby Jesus, that the baby Messiah would be born in the village of Bethlehem. And as we know, the wise men are instructed to go and continue their search. And if and when they find this baby to come back to King Herod, to tell him who the child is and where the child is located. And with a lying tongue, Herod professes that he too wants to come and worship the baby. We know when they leave the palace, the wise men would spend no time searching for the baby Jesus. They didn't have to look. They didn't have to hunt. They didn't have to search. They didn't have to stop at 7-Eleven to ask for directions because the scripture says that the same light that led them to Jerusalem now would lead them into Bethlehem and that light would stop over the house where Jesus was with his mother in Bethlehem. The exact location of Jesus' home. We can imagine Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus, who's now probably a toddler. This is not at the manger scene. The scripture says, if you read it in your Bible, the scripture says they are in a home in Bethlehem. They come to this home. There's a knock at the door. Mary looks at Joseph and says, are, are, we, are we expecting company? Did you expect somebody to come by? And Joseph says, no, I'm not expecting anybody. You can imagine their shock and surprise as they open the door, find these strangers, these foreigners at their door, dressed in their fancy clothes, probably covered in dust, probably smelling like camel, um, whatever. But there they are in a caravan and a, and a military escort and all of them, they're coming and they begin to inquire, they begin to ask questions about a baby. And yes, there is a baby. Would you allow us to come in? And Mary and Joseph, in kindness and hospitality, open the door and allow them to come in. We can imagine their surprise as these men kneel down before Jesus. Remember the countless nights of their journey through the desert. Day after day in the heat. Night after night sleeping in the cold of the desert. How long is it going to take? When are we going to get there? This long journey, but driven inside with a hunger, with a passion, a search that could not be satisfied by anything else. They continued on their journey and they find themselves now at this home, kneeling down. They bring out 
their bags and they open up some gifts and they present to Jesus, present to this baby gold and frankincense and myrrh. Mary and Joseph must have been speechless. What's happening here? What's going on? So think about the stories. I've meditated on this this week. I wonder if at first the wise men were disappointed. It surely was not what they were expecting. They were on their way to see the king of the Jews. They were on their way to see a baby who was born king of the Jews. Surely this is not what they expected. Surely a little dusty village in a Bethlehem, a no-name town, uh, with, with a little shack of a house that is this couple. Surely that's not what they were expecting. I mean, sure, they found a baby boy, but he doesn't look much like a king. His home does not look like a palace. He has no scepter in his hand. He's commanding no armies. He's giving no speeches. He's passing no laws. He couldn't even walk or talk. No royal decrees are coming out of his lips. There was nothing in their physical vision to make them think that he was a king. To the outward eye, he was nothing more than a child born in dire poverty. But to the Magi, I said, but to the Magi, he was a king. He was a king. He had more royalty in that cradle than Herod had on all of his fine palaces. He was a king. And then the wise men do something that Mary and Joseph would have never forgotten for the rest of their lives. They watched these men get down on their hands and their knees. And the Bible says they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. That, has, that is what they had come to do. That is what they had come to do. That was the purpose of the journey. All the expense, all the time, all the sacrifice, all the weariness of the journey was for one reason and one purpose alone, and that was so that they could fall to their knees and worship this king. So what can we take home today? It's a familiar story. So, yeah, yeah, Pastor Lauren, I know this story. We've heard it. Heard that story. You tell it every year. What can we take home? What can we learn from this familiar story? I think there are some important things to take home. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. First of all, God reveals himself to those who seek him. God reveals himself to people who seek for him. As I've read this story this week over and over and over again, and I've read the commentaries and I've researched this story to learn, to really get to the depths of this story, there's one question that keeps coming back to my heart, one question that I keep asking. And the question is, how did they know? How did they know? I mean, how did these men who lived so far away know that a baby was going to be born? How did they know? It's very possible that they had become familiar with Old Testament messianic prophecies through exposure to Jewish scriptures like the book of Daniel and the book of Isaiah that it would, would have been a part of the Jewish community that's living in Persia. And there's a whole lot more I could say about that, but that's, it's likely that these scholarly, studious men found out about the messianic prophecies that a baby would be born. But I'm convinced today that however they discovered it, that it was a divinely inspired search. That in these men, there was a spiritual hunger. There was a searching, there was a yearning, there was a longing to learn, to know more about God. 
And though they perhaps had wealth and could satisfy some of their financial needs and their desires for material things, that there was a need in their hearts, there was a need in their life that money and possessions could not satisfy. And can I remind you, we have that same longing, that same search within each of us that the things of this world will never satisfy us. You can try it all, friend. You can spend all of your money. You can search. You can have every experience and, and end up empty in the end because there is only one who can satisfy the deepest needs of our heart. There is only one that can satisfy the greatest longings of our soul, and his name is Jesus. God reveals himself to people who search for him. I think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. No one can find God unless God draws them to him. It's the Spirit of God that drew these men to Jerusalem. Somehow God revealed that a baby would be born. They didn't know his name, but they knew that he would be a king. And the hearts of these men was a hunger, I believe, to know God. This wasn't for them just an adventure. It wasn't just an expedition. They were willing to research. They spent months preparing for this difficult travel through the desert because they had a hunger, a spiritual hunger. And you're here today or you're watching online because you too have this same spiritual hunger. That's what drew you to Christ, the Holy Spirit drawing you to the Lord, a recognition that there's a longing and an emptiness inside of you that this world can never satisfy. There must be something more. You said it, didn't you? There must be something more than living and working and dying. What's the meaning of this whole thing after all? There must be something more. There is a desire for spiritual fulfillment and satisfaction that without knowing Jesus, we'll never find. Only Jesus can meet that need in our lives. Maybe you're here today and you're not in that already convinced crowd. You know, you're looking around, people are worshiping. They're, all I can bring is a hallelujah crowd. We just sang that. But you're here and you're on a journey yourself and you're searching, you're seeking, you're looking. And you'd say, you know, I'm not sure about religion. I don't care if you're about religion at all or not. I just want you to know Jesus. Say, Pastor, I've been reading a lot. I've been watching YouTube videos. I've been, I've been searching, you know, I've been talking to people. I just, man, I just don't know. I just don't know. But what I do know is that there's a hunger in here. There's a search in here. And I, I just got to find it. I want you to know that what you feel inside that you can't hardly articulate, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life, bringing you to Christ, guiding you to Christ, leading you to Christ, the same Holy Spirit that led those wise men a thousand miles across the desert is the same Holy Spirit that bringing me and you to Christ so that he can meet our deepest need. These wise men were led by a star. God revealed himself in this unique way by this light. They would follow this star that would lead them to Christ. I think in the Old Testament of the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness, when the fire moved, the people moved. The light led them and guided them on their journey. The same light led these men to Christ. And this morning, the same light is leading you and I to Christ. No, not a star in the sky, but a light in our heart that's bringing us to the Lord, a yearning, a searching, that's orchestrating our steps, guiding us, even bringing you to this service this morning, not by accident, not by coincidence, 
coincidence, but by the strategic plan of the Holy Spirit and His light in your life guiding you to a place where you can hear that there is hope in Christ, there is fulfillment in Jesus, there's a satisfaction to every longing of your soul. He brought you here. He guided your steps. The Holy Spirit is that light. That same light is bringing us to Him. And if you'll search for Jesus, if you'll seek after him, you will find him. God reveals himself to people that search for him. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. Second, as I read this story, I realize that if the wise men offer Jesus gifts fit for a king, and so should we. If the wise men offer gifts fit for Jesus, so should we. I didn't know this morning we were singing that song, Gratitude, but did you notice the line in the song? I know it's not much, but I have nothing else fit for a king. But worship. What can I offer Jesus? What can I offer in return? Pastor Linda was talking when she was receiving the offering this morning. What can we give back to God? What, what could we, how can we, there's no way to repay God. There's no way to give God back what he what we could give. These wise men were in a place where they could give some gifts to Jesus. They brought gold, which refers to his majesty, recognizing that Jesus is a king. They brought frankincense, which refers to the deity, that Jesus is God. It was a statement saying that Jesus is God. Myrrh represents his humanity. It was prophetic. These gifts are not just symbolic, they are also prophetic. Myrrh was something that was used to anoint the body for burial, recognizing that Jesus would be a suffering servant. Jesus was destined to suffer. But the greatest gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus were not the expensive gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, though they were important to the story. No, the greatest gifts they gave Jesus that, that day was something more expensive than gold more expensive than frankincense, more expensive than myrrh. What gift was it? It was the gift of worship. The gift of worship. And that's what we are to give. The wise men give gifts, and throughout the years and tradition, we give gifts at Christmas time to those that we love. What can you give a king? What could you give a king? You say a king has everything, right? A king has position, a king has power, a king has wealth, a king has authority. What could you give a king? I don't think you'd go down to Williams in Sonoma and get him something for his kitchen. What could you give a king? What could you do? No. There's only one thing we can give a king, and that's worship. That's worship. You see, worship is not a song, though it can include a song. But worship is not a song. Worship is the expression of honor to God through extravagant respect, reverence, and devotion. Worship is a recognition of God's greatness. Worship is a surrender of our lives to the supremacy of God. Worship is acknowledging He is God and we are not God. Worship is a willing surrender to His Lordship and His leadership in our lives that, and allowing Him to lead the way and that we would follow. That's what worship is. Psalm chapter 29 verse 2 instructs us, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. 
Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, speaking of Jesus, the Bible says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have your being. In Romans chapter 12 verse 1, the Apostle Paul gets personal. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in light of everything that God has done for you and I, he says, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is worship? Worship's not a song. Worship's, can we worship the Lord and clap? That's not, wor that's not worship, though it can include that. It's not just the lifting of hands. The worship is the giving of ourselves to Christ. It's the giving of our being to Christ. It's the surrender of our life to Christ. And you might ask the question, why would I do that? I want to be my own man. I want to be my own woman. Why would I do that? And the answer to that question, that is a inward self-focused question, but the answer to that question is only Jesus is worthy of that. Amen. Only Jesus is worthy. That's why Paul says, in view of God's mercy. And can I remind you this morning about the mercy of God? That apart from Christ, we are lost in our sins. Apart from Christ, we are destined to an eternity separated from God. Apart from our sins, we are destitute. We are hopeless apart from Christ. We cannot save ourselves. It is impossible to save ourselves. No amount of good deeds or effort or work, you'll never balance the scale. We'll never be able to satisfy the justice of a holy and righteous God. That's why Christmas, that's why God gave the very best that heaven can offer. God didn't just give us any old gift. He gave us the very best heaven could offer. He gave us his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the story. That's the story of Christmas. That's why if he would do that for me, there's nothing I will not do for him. If he would do that for me, if he would go to the cross for me, there is nothing I would do for him. I really honestly don't believe there's any such thing as a sacrifice in light of what Christ has done for us. If he says, go, I must go. If he says speak, I must speak. If he says act, I must act. If he says do, I must do. If he says love, I'm, I'm going to preach this morning. If he said love, I must love. If he says forgive, I must forgive. That's what I must do in light of what the Lord has done for me. That's what worship is. That's what worship is. As I read this story, we continue. I think about the light that drew people to Jesus. Today, God wants to use you as that light. He wants to use me as that light. Today, there's not a star in the sky that's leading people to Jesus. There's no pillar of fire leading us through the wilderness any longer. No, today, God places you and me in people's pathway so that we would guide people to Christ. We would be the light. The Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. You are the star. You are the bright light that leads people to where Jesus is. 
by your life, by the life you live, by your testimony, by the changed life that Jesus has brought into your life, by your changed attitude, by your changed conversation, by your changed values. How many of you can say today, when I met Jesus, he changed my life? Anybody can say that? He changed my life. How many of you can say today, I am not who I used to be? How many of you can say that? How many of you can say, I'm not who I'm going to be? Amen. He's still changing me. A changed life. You are to be the light. Jesus himself in the great Sermon on the Mount said in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus said in the same way, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are to be the light. And finally, as the worship team comes to help us and we close, I don't want you to miss this last point. Everybody listen. Encounters with Jesus lead to a changed life. Encounters with Jesus lead to a changed life. I believe these men went home changed. They got back on those camels and said, here we go for another three, four month journey, back a thousand miles back to Persia. But they went back changed men. They were not the same men they were when they came across that desert. They went home different. And I believe they also went home with a message to share about a Jesus, about a Messiah that they had met. They were never the same again. The last verse we read this morning is verse number 12. And this is what it says. Everybody listen. This is what it says. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their country another way. Now, if you'll give me a liberty, I know this verse of Scripture means that the Lord spoke to them in a dream and they went home by a different route to avoid King Herod. But maybe there's another meaning. Maybe there's another meaning. Maybe, in a sense, we're saying here they went home a different way spiritually. They went home a different way. They had come to realize the only way to satisfy this spiritual hurt search and this longing and this hunger that they had been having in their heart, that they've been experiencing, they've come to realize that the only way to satisfy that was to worship. To worship. We come together and worship. Man, this is my favorite time of the week to worship. Come together with you on a Sunday morning and worship here. Man, I don't know if you feel like I do, but my, my tank gets filled up on a Sunday morning. I get filled up. But you know, I don't just wait until next Sunday to worship. Right? How many of you know you can worship on a Tuesday? I want to give you permission. You can worship on Thursday afternoon, everybody. Right? Friday, 5 o'clock, you can worship. 5 o'clock somewhere. You can worship. Right? I don't want to give, you can worship Jesus. It's not just Sunday mornings. We come to worship him. But when we worship Jesus, when we worship Jesus, when we give him our all once again, there is a superior satisfaction that we experience. Jesus, we could just say Jesus is everything. Jesus meets my every need. Jesus fills my every longing. Today I lack nothing in my life. You know why? Because I know Jesus. And every need I have in my life, Jesus can meet. 
whether it's relational, spiritual, social, financial, whatever it may be, because I know Jesus, every need in my life can be met. I lack nothing today because I know him. And today you're here in this room and maybe you're searching. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're longing. Maybe you're looking. And today I want you to know your long journey. Maybe you're like the wise men. You've been on a long journey. That long journey can end today. As the light of the Holy Spirit shines and illuminates the place where Jesus is. And you too, like the wise men, can get down on your knees and worship him as Savior and worship him as your Lord. I believe the Lord has brought you here today. His light has led you to this moment. When you can see with your spiritual eyes that Jesus has come, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Our only response is to give Him worship and to make Him the Lord of our lives. Amen, everybody. Would you stand to your feet all over, across, all over the room today? Let's stand. Let's stand all over the room. Would you bow your heads for a moment in reverence, bow your hearts before the Lord. Just hold steady out of reverence just for a moment, everybody. Today I told you a story that's been retold for 2,000 years. But how powerful, how relevant, how significant the truth of this story these men searching, looking, longing, willing to sacrifice, willing to spend money, willing to give their time, searching. Without them even really knowing, being divinely led by the Holy Spirit to the place where Jesus would be. I believe those men left that house in Bethlehem looking at one another, wiping tears out of their eyes. And I believe this is what they said. It was worth it all. It was worth the hard journey. It was worth the sacrifice. It was worth all those nights sleeping on the ground. It was worth all those hot days riding a camel across the desert. It was worth it. And for the rest of their lives, they told the stories. They went back to Persia. Surely they must have told the stories. They told the stories to their children and to their grandchildren and it would be repeated again and again. We saw the Messiah. We saw Jesus. They were never the same. I wonder today, if you've seen Jesus. I wonder today, if you're ready for your search to end. That you'd recognize that the Spirit of God has brought you to this moment to give you the opportunity to give Christ your all to make Him your Lord, to make Him your Savior, that you could give Him your worship. I wonder if that's you today. Maybe you're here today and you've never professed your faith in Christ. And you say today, Pastor Lauren, I'm willing to give Jesus a try. I want my search to end today. I'm ready to put my faith in Him. Would you pray for me, Pastor? If that's you, would you lift your hand? No one looking around. Pastor, pray for me, Pastor. I want to know Christ. Yes, yes. I wonder if there might be some others. You just hold up that hand. 
Yes, I see you up in the balcony. Yes, in the back. Thank you. There's four. Praise God. Yes, I see you back there. What a glorious day to meet Jesus. What a beautiful morning. December the 18th, 2022. To meet Jesus and to put our faith in Jesus and to trust Him as Savior and Lord. To give Him our worship, to give Him our all. What a beautiful day. I want to lead you in prayer. And for those of you who raised your hands, if you are sincere in your hearts, this is a moment in which you're going to be born again. And you can repeat after me. And I want a church, maybe you'd like to pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I can see that you brought me to this moment. I believe your Holy Spirit has been guiding me. And your light has brought me here today so that I can see that you are all I need. I come with an open heart. I want you to fill it. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again as payment for my sins. And this morning I give myself to you confess my sins and give you my repentance. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless you.